Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. This is your host, Deacon Andrew Brazier. Welcome back to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We're picking back up on our series of the 39 Articles of Religion, and we're picking back specifically with Article 22 of Purgatory. The Romish doctrine concerning purgatory, pardons, worshiping, and adoration, as well as of images as of relics, and also invocation of saints is a fond thing, vainly invented, and grounded upon no warranty of Scripture, but rather repugnant to the Word of God. Article 23. Of Ministering in the Congregation. It is not lawful for any man to take upon him the office of public preaching, or ministering the sacraments in the congregation, before he be lawfully called and sent to execute the same. And those we ought to judge lawfully called and sent, which be chosen and called to this work by men who have public authority given to them in the congregation, to call and send ministers into the Lord's vineyard. Article 24. Of speaking in the congregation in such a tongue as the people understandeth. It is a thing plainly repugnant to the word of God and the custom of the primitive church to have public prayer in the church or to minister the sacraments in a tongue not understanded of the people. Article 25 of the Sacraments Sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession, but rather they be certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace, and God's good will towards us, by the which he doth work invisibly in us, and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. There are two sacraments ordained of Christ our Lord in the gospel, that is to say, baptism and the supper of the Lord. Those five commonly called sacraments, that is to say, confirmation, penance, orders, matrimony, and extreme unction, are not to be counted for sacraments of the gospel, being such as have grown partly of the corrupt following of the apostles, partly are states of life allowed in scriptures, but yet have not like nature of sacraments with baptism and the Lord's Supper, for that they have not any visible sign or ceremony ordained of God. The sacraments are not ordained of Christ to be gazed upon or to be carried about, but that we should duly use them. And as such only as worthily receive the same, they have a wholesome effect or operation. But they that receive them unworthily purchase to themselves damnation, as St. Paul saith. Article 26. Of the unworthiness of the ministers, which hinders not the effect of the sacraments. Although in the visible church the evil be ever mingled with the good, and sometimes the evil have chief authority in the ministration of the word of sacraments, yet forasmuch as they do not the same in their own name, but in Christ, and do minister by his commission and authority, we may use their ministry, both in hearing the word of God and in receiving the sacraments. Neither is the effect of Christ's ordinance taken away by their wickedness, nor the grace of God's gifts diminished from such as by faith, and rightly, do receive the sacraments ministered unto them, which be effectual because of Christ's institution and promise, although they be ministered by evil men. Nevertheless, it appertaineth to the discipline of the church that inquiry be made of evil ministers, and that they be accused by those that have knowledge of their offenses, 
and finally being found guilty by just judgment be deposed. We'll take a short break before we start diving into the more heavier part of the articles, uh, specifically going into each one of the sacraments, starting with baptism and Article 27. We're back from the break. We're going to pick up with Article 27 of Baptism. Baptism is not only a sign of profession and mark of difference, whereby Christian men are discerned from others that be not Christianed, but it is also a sign of regeneration or new birth, whereby, as by an instrument, they that receive baptism rightly are grafted into the church. The promises of the forgiveness of sin and of our adoption to be the sons of God by the Holy Ghost are visibly signed and sealed. Faith is confirmed and grace increased by virtue of prayer unto God. The baptism of young children is in any wise to be retained in the church, is most agreeable with the institution of Christ. Article 28 of the Lord's Supper The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves one to another, but rather it is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, insomuch that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith receive the same, the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ, and likewise the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Transubstantiation, or the change of the substance of bread and wine, in the supper of the Lord cannot be proved by holy writ, but is repugnant to the plain words of Scripture, overthroweth the nature of a sacrament, and hath given occasion to many superstitions. The body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper, only after an heavenly and spiritual manner. And the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. Article 29 Of the wicked, which eat not the body of Christ in the use of the Lord's Supper. The wicked, and such as be void of a lively faith, although they do carnally and visibly press with their teeth, as St. Augustine saith, the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, yet no wise are they partakers of Christ, but rather to their condemnation do eat and drink the sign or sacrament of so great a thing. Article 30 Of Both Kinds The cup of the Lord is not to be denied to the lay people, for both the parts of the Lord's sacrament, by Christ's ordinance and commandment, ought to be ministered to all Christian men alike. Article 31 Of the One Oblation of Christ Finished Upon the Cross The offering of Christ, once made in that perfect redemption, propitiation, and satisfaction, for all the sins of the whole world, both original and actual. And there is none other satisfaction for sin but that alone. Wherefore the sacrifices of the masses, in which it was commonly said that the priest did offer Christ for the quick and the dead, to have remission of pain or guilt, were blasphemous fables and dangerous deceits. Article 32 Of the Marriage of Priests Bishops, priests, and deacons are not commanded by God's law, either to vow the estate of single life or to abstain from marriage. Therefore it is lawful for them, as for all other Christian men, 
to marry at their own discretion, as they shall judge the same to serve better to godliness. Article 33. Of excommunicate persons, how they are to be avoided. That person which by open denunciation of the church is rightly cut off from the unity of the church and excommunicated, ought to be taken of the whole multitude of the faithful as a heathen and publican, until he be openly reconciled by penance, and received into the church by a judge that hath the authority thereunto. We'll conclude tonight with Article 24 of the Traditions of the Church. It is not necessary that the traditions and ceremonies be in all places one or utter, utterly alike, for at all times they have been diverse. It may be changed according to the diversity of countries, times, and men's manners, so that nothing be ordained against God's word. Whosoever, through his private judgment, willingly and purposely, doth openly break the traditions and ceremonies of the church, which be not repugnant to the word of God, and be ordained and approved by common authority, ought to be rebuked openly, that others may fear to do the like, as he that offendeth against the common order of the church, and hurteth the authority of the magistrate, and woundeth the consciences of the weak brethren. Every particular or national church hath authority to ordain, change, and abolish ceremonies or rites of the church ordained only by man's authority, so that all things be done to edify. And we'll conclude there. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I ask that you bless my heart, my head, and my tongue so that the words out of my mouth are, are your true teaching. I ask that you bless the hearers of the word today, bless their hearts their head, and their ears. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So this Sunday, the last Sunday of June, 2019, I'm doing this so that years later, if I listen to this again, I'll know where I was, what I was <laughs> doing, um, is also the week of July the 4th. So July the 4th means freedom for Amer Americans. 
So um, I just wanted to make that uh, clear about what today is. So instead of preaching from the gospel, as we normally do, I'm going to preach from the epistle. So if you would, please get out your pew Bibles. I can say that now because we got them. And if you don't have one, I would ask the ushers to come and give you one. <laughs> what page are we on, Father Woody? Is 915. Look at that. Page 915 in your pew Bibles. We're going to do chapter 5. And um, let me tell you this first. Five, four years ago, I heard a, a sermon series on Galatians. It ran six consecutive Sundays. And I tell you, it was the best thing I'd heard on Galatians. So after the sixth uh, delivery, sermon, homily, teaching, I went up to the pastor and I said, give me your manuscript and I will publish it. And uh, he said, well, I don't have a manuscript, I have notes. And I said, well, I will publish it. Um, he said, well, I need, this was four years ago. Okay, so he said, yes. And so um, two years ago, I said, Where, where's your manuscript? I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> Um, about six months ago, I got an email that says it's on the way in the next few weeks. That was six months ago. <laughs> Three weeks ago, after I knew that I was in rotation to preach on Galatians, of all things, so I got another email that says it'll be there next week or something like that. That was three weeks away. Didn't come income because I was going to plagiarize his, <laughs> so it didn't happen so last night as I was uh, sitting in my work area at home and I was working uh, make sure I knew what I was going to say this morning I closed out it was eight o'clock I just said well let me check an email I checked my email eight o'clock last night I'd already written this thing <laughs> and I get an email with a uh, word attachment to it Galatians and it's full glory. And I said, uh, I wrote back, thank you. And, uh, so I'm, I'm a, I'll go on with that. I, I can't plagiarize it. I have to go with what I've got. Uh, so I'm going to plagiarize Paul. <laughs> Let me tell you about Paul. Paul, uh, in this particular instance, uh, Paul was, uh, I think it was about a year and a half in, in Corinth. And then he left Corinth and he went over across the Aegean Sea and went to um, Ephesus for a while, then took another uh, ship over to um, Syrian Antioch. Now, the, the church in Antioch was a, a sponsor of churches. So uh, I think they're the ones that sponsored uh, Paul and Barnabas to, to go, what is now in the area of Turkey, so like central Turkey. So he went through Galatia and Phrygia and, and planted a lot of churches, okay? And uh, so then he went on his way after he planted these churches. What did he do? He taught the gospel. He taught the truth to, the, to all the people in the, all these different churches, particularly in Galatia. So what we have here is um, on that trip, he must have discerned something's not right because he had planted those churches two or three years before this next trip. So something just wasn't going on right. And apparently he was getting feedback from some of his helpers that the churches in Galatia are going the wrong way. 
So Paul, and I want you to know this, the, Paul's letter to the Galatians is actually the first letter that he wrote. And uh, he had gone through, as we all know, his own experience when he was, he was, um, he was, he was a bad guy to the Christians. Okay, he did a lot of bad things to him, but he was an intellect. He was a, he was a very smart um, person, and uh, he, he knew the scriptures, the, the Hebrew scriptures very well. And uh, so he could articulate a lot of things. Uh, but on the road to Damascus, of course, God came to reveal him. Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Now, a lot of people think that after that, and then he had this, he went blind after his sight was restored that he went on to his ministry. No, he didn't. He went to Arabia for three years trying to discern what in the world just happened to me on the road to Damascus. He was persecuting Christians. Jesus came to him in a vision. Or whatever it was, it doesn't really matter, I guess. And it affected him, you know. Christ affected him so much that he had to go off and think about it. And so he, he went somewhere in Arabia. He came back. He met with Peter for about 15 days. It says that's in Galatians, by the way, in the beginning of Galatians. And, uh, you know, he had to prove himself. Um, he met with Peter. You know, Peter was kind of the leader. He was a leader of the apostles. And, and uh, then it was another 14 years before he really, really did anything. So a lot of time transpired. So now we're at the point where he's hearing about what's going on in Galatia. And uh, after his greeting in this first letter that he ever wrote in uh, chapter 1 uh, verse 6 he said I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel not that there is one something was going on in Galatia that wasn't right and he was going to try to, to correct all of that so what he did was he wrote in this letter a letter to Galatians to several churches. One, one letter, probably a circular letter that went to, uh, to many of them. And he opens with this in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery again freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Something has happened to that freedom. Now I'm going to, the reason I ask you to open your Bibles, we didn't read the entire chapter 5 here, so we're going to do the entire chapter. And I can do it, I hope, hopefully, rather quickly. So this week, in the United States, we're celebrating the 4th of July, which is a freedom. And uh, it's not the same freedom, precisely, as Christ freed us from, but it's derivative. So our country was, was founded uh, on Christ in, in a sense, okay? But what, what Americans nowadays think about freedom and what freedom in Christ means are two, two different things, as we'll see, as, as Paul is pointing out in this, in this uh, epistle. So he tells them that uh, freedom is a gift from God. It is not a freedom that we can do anything that we want. It's a freedom to abide in God in the love that God had for us in Christ Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. Paul is using in, in this uh, Galatians epistle, he's using military language, 
and we, he's using athletic language. And I notice in the, in the song we just sang, uh, not, not the gospel song, the previous one, is full of military language, you know? So the first chapter of Galatians tell us why uh, there is a difference. The church that Paul planted is being corrupted by antagonists who say that the Gentile Christian churches in southern Galatia abide by the law, that the men there must be circumcised. Well, this is not what Paul preached. Now, here's the thing. These are Gentile churches. They're not Jewish churches. But that's not to say there are not any Judaizers still around. What they're doing is they're saying, in order to really be a Christian, you need to be circumcised too. Well, Paul and his logic, his godly logic, is saying that's not what it's all about because that's the law. Christ came to fulfill the law. In one sense, it was abolished, but he came to fulfill the law. And to say that you need to be circumcised is against what God was preaching. You don't have to do that to be a Christian. But these were influencers, antagonists, or whatever, Judaizers, who were trying to get them to go their way. So they were disturbing the church. The church was going fine when Paul left it, he thought, the first time. Second trip around, he noticed something was going wrong. Now he knew what was wrong. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You just nullify what Christ did for you. You can't have them both. But he's saying neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything because Christ died for us. Don't you, don't you know that? But because if you follow the law, you're obligated to fulfill the law, not just one portion of the law, but everything in the law. And I think the law at that time had like 613, 614 laws, and that's just the Ten Commandments. All the rabbis, all, all, all the other teachers in, the, in, the, in the Judaism created all these things. Well, if you're gonna be a good Jew, you gotta also do this. Don't eat this on, 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 on the Sabbath. Don't do that on the Sabbath, this, that, and the other. Christ came to liberate everyone. So he's saying as you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified, meaning counted as righteous by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That's horrible. Paul brought them in. He taught them the gospel. And now all of a sudden they're falling from grace because now they're being told that they have to be circumcised. They have to follow the law. You know, in Islam, if you're going to be a good uh, Muslim, they got a lot of rules. And as long as you follow the rules, you're, you're a good Muslim. There are a lot of rules. And for some reason, people like rules. They want rules to go by because rules will make them righteous. But you know what else it does? It makes them self-centered. Well, I've done this. I'm good. Eventually, one gets on top of the other. You got other people who are thinking the same thing. So following the law has a downside. The whole thing is downside, but people start to get self-centered. The American freedom is that way, isn't it? I can do whatever I want to do. It's me. I can, I'm told I'm free. I can do anything I want. You know, it's like, I did it my way. That's not God's way. 
sure we want to be free. We want to be able to do our things. But the, the, the point, the focus of our worship is not ourselves. But following the law kind of turns that around. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Hope in this case means assurance, for the assurance of righteousness. He's reminding the church in Galatia of the works of Christ on the cross once again and its implications for salvation. Christ himself is the fulfillment of the law and is in him through faith that we are saved. So he's pushing, you're saved by faith. It's faith that's what's saving you. Christ is saving you because you're faithful to him. It's not for anything that you would do. But the law says, no, you got to do this. And Paul's saying, don't pay attention to that. Who are these people? He thought he had them well trained. In one of these verses, I think he called them foolish. You know? Oh, yeah. Three, verse one. three. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, we're not exactly sure who, who did this, but they were having a sway over the church. And, that, and Paul couldn't have that. Again, those for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So again, these were Gentile believers, those who had never seen or even considered circumcision. That was, that was something the Jews did. These people, if they go that, they're going to be enslaved. If you're going by the law, you're going to be enslaved. But think what they came from. They were worshiping other gods. These were pagans. These Gentiles, these non-Jews, have converted from their pagan gods. They were in slavery to a pagan god that didn't really exist. And now they've come to Christ. This is a wonderful thing. Well, if they came to Christ from a pagan god and pagan rules, why would they want to go, go backward with these new rules? In, in verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. you got to know who it's, who it's not from. And here's the warning. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, if these guys get one or two of you and you start believing what they're telling you about obeying the law, then everybody else is going to start. And all of a sudden, everything is going to go the wrong way. And you're going to be lost. It's a big warning. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Remember, you can't have the law and practice the law and live by the law because you can't anyway. There's no way you can keep it all and be a son of God. And in the strongest language, Paul says, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. So he's, it's pretty strong language. This is his first book. He's just beginning. Uh, years later, he, he, he expands. If, if you want an expansion of this, you go to Romans. Romans, detailed theology, very good. Paul, just a lot of it has developed over the years. If that's too much for you, go to Ephesians, which is kind of like a summary of Romans. But we've got it all right here. So you see, he is a church planter, and, and the church started listening to other people. So now we get to verse 13. 
for you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. That's the whole point of it. We're not serving ourselves. If we are in Christ, if we have faith in Christ, it's our responsibility to serve others, not to serve ourselves. Following the law, you're really serving yourselves because you can boast of it. I did this right this week. I did everything. The world changed. The fulcrum of history is Jesus Christ. Things radically changed. And it really affected Paul. You know, with his road to Damascus, it really affected him. And he went out and started planting churches. And he got support for planting churches. But he couldn't have this because this is wrong. That's how much of a believer he is. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We hear that every week. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So I, I was, I digress here a little bit, but for a point. I was born about 18 months before the end of World War II. And um, when I was born, we lived in an apartment. I never remember that. But when I was four years old, we moved into uh, a neighborhood in a suburban area. We lived in a Navy town. Norfolk, largest naval base in the world, is, is there. So all of our neighbors were uh, Navy enlisted people, some Navy officers, um, and uh, civil service workers. But every Sunday, we would go to church, my mother, my two sisters, and I. We would walk. Well, we didn't have a car. Now, I'm not going to tell you a story that in the wintertime, we went five miles to go to school. You know, No, that didn't happen. The church was only about a mile away, I would guess. I've never measured it. Where that church was, Methodist Church. Where are you? Methodist Church. Um, and it was the Methodist Church. It was not the United Methodist Church then. Across the street was the Baptist Church. Down the street in one block was the Presbyterian Church. We went every Sunday. Sunday school first. We always went to Sunday school. And then we went to church. At Easter, these three churches would come together for Easter sunrise service. I hated that. <laughs> I had to get up early in the morning. But we did it. What I'm trying to convey is things were very simple right after the war. I didn't realize then it was right after five years after the end of the war. People were happy. People were calm. Things got done. But in 1958, so that eight years have gone, Nice eight years. In 1958, the federal government said that our schools needed to integrate. The governor of Virginia said that ain't going to happen here, and he closed the schools. He closed the schools in Norfolk, a suburb of Richmond. The um, school system in uh, Prince Edward, is it Prince Edward County of Virginia? They closed for five years because they were not going to integrate schools. But anyway, I, uh, what I'm trying to tell you was that it, things changed. And even in the church, there was bickering, you know. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's what started happening in the church. 
So the schools closed, so these three churches opened up as one school, and so we, I got my first freshman year of uh, high school uh, in one of these schools before they reopened the school. We didn't, ours were not as closed as long as Prince, Prince Edward County uh, in Virginia. Things changed, and the bickering in the church. Why I say the bickering in the church? They started an academy uh, in, in Norfolk for whites only, okay? And some of the things just haven't, been resolved. They started fighting, so we shouldn't do this. No, we got to do this because God wants all the races to be to themselves. That sort of thing is bickering. It almost broke up the church, our, our particular Methodist church. But it was a time where it, it was good for a while, and then everything changed. And so we have to look to ourselves as, as individuals in the sense of how do we correct ourselves? And Paul is telling them in, in the latter part of chapter 5, what needs to be done. He says, walk by the Spirit. You've been taught the gospel. You know the gospel. You forgot it. You're being persuaded. You have people coming in, innovating, changing things. So, but you need to walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to list some of them. But he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your flesh wants to do certain things. But the spirit walking in the spirit is the way to go. So he goes on, I won't go through that, but he, he goes on to, to list what the uh, works of the flesh are. And you have to be careful because of licentiousness. It's just like you were talking in, in Sunday school. You know, freedom was, oh, we're free, we can do anything. We're, we believe in God, but we're free. The body and the soul are separate. No, that's a heresy. So the same type of thing we have to watch out for today. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. A law cannot make you act in self-control to a certain extent socially but perhaps but the fruit of the spirit is love joy and peace patience kindness goodness there's no law for that it comes from god if you're in god and you're walking the spirit and if you're in step with spirit then you live for god and others you cease to become you cease being self-centered if you were that way at all he goes on to say, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice the past tense. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and spirit. You're living in the spirit of God. You've let the Holy Spirit control your life. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So if we can live like that, then we won't have the bickering. We won't be destroying one another. It does happen in the church. We've seen it particularly in the last 30 years. Our church right now is a result of some bickering, some differences, differences of beliefs, some innovations. We talked about clergy this morning. Uh, bishops, priests and deacons the bishop very important the bishop is the guardian of the faith 
the original faith, the deposit of faith that Christ gave to the church. So when a bishop veers from the truth, we've got problems. And it has happened over the last 30 or 40 years. Bickering. But you have to fight. And so if you look at this in the Greek, I have a Greek Bible. I look at it, then I have to look in the definition. But it's military language that is has here. He's telling the churches in, in Galatia, like a runner, like the athletic part. He says, just like a runner in his lane. There are lines. You need to stay in that lane. You get over here, you get over there. You got problems. Stay with it. Stay in the spirit. Stay in your lane. Walk in the spirit. It's tough for some people to do. That's why we come to church every Sunday. We go to Sunday school, and then we come to church. We go to Sunday school to learn it's a uh, teaching that you don't normally get uh, in, in church. But you have to worship God, knowing who God is, and knowing what your relationship with God is. And Jesus came, God, man, came into the world to save us because we can't save ourselves by the law. So I'll close. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and recite together the words of the Nicene Creed.